Happy Mother's Day. Can we give all our mothers a good old loud honk, a big, long, annoying honk for all the awesome moms that we got? <laughs> That's right. Check and make sure those horns work. Listen, I thank you so much for being here. And, you know, I, I know there's so many places you could be and so many uh, things you could be doing right now, but you've chosen to be here with us. And I'm so grateful and thankful for that. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, if you want to turn there. And I'm just going to pray for us again. Just ask God to just speak to us through his word this morning and, and hoping and praying that whatever we've come with this morning, just like that song said, you know, leave your shame at the door. There's no place for it in the presence of God because there's an invitation to his table that is open for each and every one of us. And I, and I hope and pray that we can come into that openly this morning. Uh, whatever, wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, whatever stress you've experienced this week, that we would just lay that at the feet of Christ this morning and just enjoy his presence and be so thankful to be outside on a beautiful day. Last time we did this, we were scrambling because rain was coming. And today I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave with a sunburn today. I can promise you that right on top of my head. So let's pray really quickly just for, and ask God to speak to us. And, and I pray as I lead, I, I hope that you would be praying where you are right now and ask God, speak to me through your word. God, let me see what it is you have for me where I am. God, meet me where I am this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the worship team. God, I thank you for everything that you've given us the opportunity to do for your name and for your glory this morning. Father, I, I pray that you speak to us through the text. God, show us the truth that you have. God, reveal to us the things that you would have us to find. And Lord, let us to dig for the treasure that can only be found in your word. Father, not in my opinions, God, not on my soapboxes, but God, in your pure and awesome word. Father, we thank you for the good morning that you're going to give us, God, and we thank you for the time we've had so far. Continue to bless us, work in us, and speak to us and through us in everything we do. Father, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much. And, you know, uh, this week as I was thinking and praying about where we would go and what we would do, you know, we've been going through this series, Who's This King? And this morning I want to kind of step away from that just for a week. And, and I want us to dwell on this idea of finding faith. You know, because the reality is the year 2020 has been a doozy so far, right? Every single one of us have experienced the weight of the things that have happened this year in some way, shape, or form. You know, some people have lost jobs. Some people have lost, uh, you know, experiences. You know, the seniors and different people that, you know, have graduations and, and people who are planning weddings during this time. And, and, you know, unfortunately, people who are planning funerals not being able to have certain experiences that we expect. You know, uh, and, and, and many people have lost friends, have lost families. You know, there's, there's so much that has not happened. And the one thing that I've been reminded of time and time and time again, as far as navigating this space, is I've been reminded of how little control I have over the day-to-day -day aspects of my life, right? That we've been reminded that it doesn't matter if we planned a, a vacation at the beginning of May or the middle of May. Hey, listen, things change. You know, it doesn't matter if we had some event planned uh, or some uh, activity planned, you know, or, or we didn't want things to go a certain way. We're just reminded because of this how little control that we have in our life. You know, and specifically... You know, the, the idea, the fact that we've been affected as the church, 
you know, that we've not been able to gather the way that we've normally gathered. And so I do believe, and, and for me, you know, there was a, a time of adjustment, and I believe for all of us there's been a time of adjustment, but what we've been reminded about, and I hope that what we've seen during this time is that as for me, and, and I believe the Bible speaks to it, that the local gathering of God's people is unbelievably vital to what God does in individuals and in growing a family and moving throughout a family. But I hope that what we've been reminded about in this time is that God meets us wherever we're at. That more than ever, that God is reminding us that the place that he has for us is where we are, not where we go. You know, because the thing that we forget in our modern culture, because there's been so much that's been uh, put together and there's these, you know, uh, we we have church buildings where we meet at and we have this uh, presentation that we do with all this stuff. But the thing that we have to remember is that in the Bible and all throughout history up until a certain point, uh, very recently in the last few hundred years or so, that that church happened in a gathering. But the main uh, access that people took part in or the way church uh, growth truly happened or individual worship truly happened or the way that uh, families developed spiritually was in the home. You know, and there are people all throughout history that fought for the right for us to be able to do the things that we have the ability to do in our homes. You know, there are individuals that lost their lives for the very idea of of what we celebrate so freely this morning. You know, specifically, I think of, uh, of people who fought for the accessibility of God, helping us understand who God is and what God is inviting us into and how he invites us in. You know, I think of Martin Luther, and he fought for us to be able to understand. He questioned the very idea of justification or how we're made right before God, and he, he challenged the idea of how we experience the very grace of God to the point where the, uh, the church at the time, uh, you know, persecuted him, where they chased after him. They exiled him because he was challenging things that, that were truly biblical but that were not for the times. But he fought for that so that we could enjoy the accessibility of God to know that God has invited us through his grace and mercy, not by works done by man, but through the work that he's done on the cross. You know, and then there have been other people that have fought for us to have the knowledge of God, to be able to to see God for who he is and to read his word, specifically people like like John Wycliffe and William Tyndall. These are individuals who died for us to be able to have the Bible in a language that we could understand so that we could have it in our home, so that we could be given the power to lean into it with our families and to teach them and instruct them and lead them in the ways of the Lord. But as time has progressed, we've slowly shuffled those things away from our responsibilities to other establishments. We've, we've, we've shuffled that off to the, the church to be the main place that, you know, uh, we've, we've created church and the church for our kids or the church for ourselves is almost more of an extracurricular activity than an actual uh, moment experience that we have with the Lord. And the, the sad nature about that is that these people died in fault so that we could have the power in our hands to have that growth, to have that experience, but we've shuffled it off. And what these times have reminded us of, and I've hope have given us a perspective of of how valuable God's word is and how valuable us pursuing Christ just with everything we have for the very faith, how valuable that is and how what God wants to do in that. And it's in this time when we have not been able to gather that we've gained, I hope that we've gained a perspective. 
I hope that we've gained a perspective of, of our responsibility and the necessity of the pursuing of the Lord within our own context. Because listen, even when we're back to gathering, do you know how often most of us gather? I mean, for us as a church, we gather one time, one time a week. So that means that there's 167 hours of a week when we're not gathered together. And if that's the only place where we're leaning into God's word, where we're uh, just furiously uh, fighting towards him and chasing him and pursuing him, then we are going to be we're going to be dry. We're going to be suffering. We're not going to we're not going to find the truth and, and rest in the truth and be directed by the truth that God truly wants to give us in our lives. And I hope that this time, if it hasn't been, I pray that it would begin to be today. No day is too late that we would begin reclaiming the power that God has given to us through the people who have gone before us to give us not only an understanding of the accessibility of God, but also the understanding of the knowledge of God and his character and his purpose through his revealed word to us in the Bible. You know, because the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1.3 that he's given us everything we need to know for life and godliness. And that in every aspect where we lack control, because the thing we do, we lack control of our schedules. We lack control of our calendar. We lack control of the weather. We lack control of how other people will act and how that will affect us. But church, the thing we do have control of, the thing that we do have control of is how we seek the Lord. And the thing that we can be reminded about the Lord is that he is always the same. The Lord never changes, that nothing in him changes, that his character never changes, that the way he acts, the way he loves, the way he reveals, the way he gives grace never changes. And that the thing we have control of is to move towards that very thing that offers stability, that very thing that offers us that comfort, that very thing that offers us that direction that we desperately need. Micah 3, 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You know, right now our family's going through something called a shorter catechism. And one of the questions in it says, what is God? And it says that God is spirit. And in his spirit, in his being, he is unchangeable. Unchangeable in his wisdom and his power and his holiness, his justice, his goodness, and his truth. That our Lord, our God, is immutable. And what that means is that our God does not change and that he does not ever mutate or he does not ever adjust. Because if he did ever have to adjust or to change, then that would mean he was not great and glorious. Because something who is great and glorious and mighty and all-powerful doesn't have to change. He is and was and is to come. That he never changes. He is the I am am that is and that's the very God that we want to pursue that's the very God where we gain our faith and so in this text in Mark chapter 9 just to lay the groundwork a little bit up to this point God has done some miraculous things and Jesus is just doing amazing work among the people and they're being drawn to him well in this moment a crowd has gathered and in this crowd Jesus walks up to his disciples and his apostles and he says hey what's going on and in that we hear a man speak up and this man speaks up and said that I've I have my son that I've brought to you who is demon possessed that a demon is throwing him down, that it has been affecting him since he was young. He says, and I brought him to you to see what you could do to him. He had heard about Jesus. And I think the most important thing that we have to understand, and I pray that we would grab a hold to, is that we would understand who he is. Because what we believe about God will affect the way that we pursue God. You know, and he says in Mark chapter 9, verse 17, read this with me. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you. You know, and this, this word teacher is not a teacher of elevation. Like he's not, he's not lifting Jesus up to some authority, but he's recognizing that there's something special about him. 
that he doesn't have all the answers figured out, and he's not quite sure who Jesus is, but what he does know is that he knows that Jesus is something different, that Jesus can offer him something that nothing else can, that there is something about Jesus that is special, and that he has to get there. I pray that in our life, as we're finding faith, as we're trying to find some sense of stability and control, I pray that we would see God for who he is. I pray that we would see Jesus in our life for what he truly is. You know, because in this time, it will have revealed to us what Jesus and what God in our life truly is. You know, when we haven't had this set thing on the schedule to go to, how have our Sundays been? How have our weeks been? How, how have we made time for the Lord? How have we leaned in? And this isn't to shame us. I hope that this is something to reveal to us about our, the nature of how we view the Lord in our life. And, and because if we see him for any less than who he is, then we're never going to pursue him for what he can truly give to us. You know, do we see him as a weekend activity or a weekly obligation or crutch, your title just to say that we're a Christian, our excuse? Or do we treat the Lord like that relative that we never see, and then when we do see him, we awkwardly act like we know who they are, we awkwardly act like we're interested in what they have to say, but it's just to get us through the moment, and then we move on. You have those people in your life. Don't lie. But how do we see the Lord do we see him with reverence? Do we see him in wonderment, in true respect, in the glory of who God is? Do we truly see these things? And I pray that as we move through this, that we would be drawn to that because of who he is, not out of some religious obligation, but because of what he can do for us. This dad of this child knew that God could do something for his son, that God could do something for his family, that God could change things in a way that nothing else can. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, the, the prophet here begins to explain some characteristics about some things that God has done and God is doing and that what he's doing is he's trying to give perspective on who God is. He talks about how glorious God is, how powerful God is, how wrathful God is against sin and the enemy, that God is a warrior, that he's a deliverer, and that God is victorious. Do we see Jesus in our life as any of those things? And I pray that we would. I pray that we would begin to see Jesus for everything that he is and can be in our life if he's not currently. You know, this man was not seeking Jesus out of religious obligation, but he was seeking Jesus because he truly believed Jesus could do something better with him and with his family. Church, parents who seek Jesus are better parents. Spouses who seek Jesus are better spouses. People who seek Jesus are better people. And listen, it's not a, this is not a comparison to other people. This is not a competition to see who can be good. Because listen, there are a lot of good people who could care less about Jesus that are doing really great things. This is not about that. This is a competition with ourselves to experience life on a better field of view than we've ever experienced it because of what Jesus offers us. People who seek Jesus are better people. Not better than other people, but better than ourselves. Better than anything else we'll ever grab a hold of or experience is what we find in Jesus. And so in this pursuit of Jesus, as we're finding faith, I think there's a couple of things that we'll experience. And then the, I want us to kind of highlight these and then we'll move through and see how this applies to us. But this father finds two things as he's searching out faith, trying to find control over things he can't control. He hasn't been able to control the state of his son's life. And his son has been drastically affected. His family has been greatly affected by this illness. 
and by this spirit that has overtaken him. But there's two things he experiences, and I believe it's things that we experience in our pursuit of faith as we're trying to figure out what this Christian life is all about. And I think the first thing that we find and the first thing that he finds is faulty followers. That in verse 18, he says, of Matthew 9, he says, I asked your disciples, and they were not able. You know, in Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus specifically give them the power to cast out demons. But in this moment, this father comes with his son and asks, the, he comes looking for Jesus, but he runs into followers of Jesus. And when he asks him, can you help me? The followers kind of, uh, I just imagine they're just looking around at each other like, ah, I just don't know. I mean, we can try maybe, you know, but, but they don't accomplish it. So when Jesus walks up, he says, he says, I came and I asked them to do something for me, but they couldn't do it. So what he ran into was faulty, faulty followers because the reality is in our pursuit of Jesus, when we're leading our families, when we're, when we're with our, within ourselves seeking after the Lord and searching for Jesus, it's likely we're going to run into faulty followers. We're going to run into people that don't meet our expectations. We're going to run into people that don't follow the, the formula that we think they should. We're going to find people that are imperfectly representing a perfect God. And listen, you know, I've heard this said before, well, church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. Come and join all of us. You know, I, I thank God that the church is full of hypocrites because this is where the church needs to be. This is where the hypocrites need to be is together. Listen, we're faulty. We're faulty, and we make mistakes, and we fail. You know, but the thing is, as we pursue Jesus, we can't allow our pursuit of Christ in our lives to be derailed by failures of followers because people are going to disappoint us. People are not going to meet our expectations. People are not going to do the things the way that we think they should do those things. We're going to be hurt by people. We're going to be disappointed by people. I can imagine the disappointment of this, uh, of this father when he came, thinking that maybe, just maybe, I'll find Jesus. He doesn't run into Jesus, but then he thinks to himself, well, maybe I'll find the next best thing. Maybe I'll find some people who will love me, who will love my son, who will help us to be better, who will help us to be healed. And what does he find? He finds disappointment. He finds disappointment. And listen, on behalf of the church, I apologize to you. If you've ever found disappointment at the hands of failures, of, of followers who have failed you. Listen, maybe I've even failed you. And if I haven't yet, I may at some point. Listen, Jesus' people fail sometimes. Jesus never fails. That's why I pray for us as a church. The best thing I can do is point you to Jesus. I can't point you to myself. I never want this to be about me. I never want this to be about an individual because I may fail you. Jesus never will. We can't allow our disappointment in people, unmet expectation, or loss of faith in people of the church to affect our faith in the work of God. Because God is working even if the tools fail. God is working even if his tools fail. And so not only do we, in our search of faith, pursuing faith, finding faith in our life, not only do we find faulty followers, but church, sometimes we are revealed within ourselves faulty faith. That we're shown faulty faith. In chapter uh, 9, verse 24, as he finally finds Jesus... All this searching, all this moving, all this uh, coming and, and bringing his son before Jesus. He comes before Jesus and he says, Jesus asked him. He says, if you believe, then all these things can be accomplished. In verse, 
In verse uh, 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can believe, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately it says the father cried out, or that he shed tears. And he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, this is such a beautiful moment. Because in a lot of ways, people would look at that as failure. What Jesus just said, if you believe, then he'll do something for you. But you basically just said that you do believe, but you don't believe. So what's going on with that? I think it's a beautiful moment of a revelation of faulty faith, an acknowledgement of inadequacy that allows God to work in our lives. The worst thing we can do for ourselves is pretend like we know it all, that we have it all figured out, that there's every bit of our faith is intact and all together. You know, because what's awesome about this moment is that even in doubt, he comes. He comes to Jesus asking for something that seems crazy. Not ex- I just imagine that part of his doubt was that he didn't expect anything to change because he hasn't known anything different. He's known nothing but the state of his family the way it is. He's known nothing about his son but the state of the way that his son is up to this point. Why would anything change? Can he really do anything about it? You know, I think too often the, 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 the thing that is keeping us from Jesus is this faulty faith that we have where we believe that because I don't completely grasp it, because I don't completely understand it, because my faith is broken, because my faith is in, incomplete, because I am having trouble believing that life will be any other way than how it's always been, that I can't come to Jesus, that Jesus has no place for me at his table, that he has no work that he can do for me. You know, and unfortunately, sometimes the church lays that before you and says, hey, listen, if you can't believe and act and live and walk the way of like this, then we don't really have a spot for you at our table. But I'm thankful that Jesus' table is a lot more welcoming than ours usually is. And that it's for us, and I love the patience of Christ in this moment. And I pray that for us as churches, as Christians, that we would show more patience. That even when they may not understand, if life may be different, even if there's things that they're struggling through, even if there's incomplete faith, even if they're not totally living the way that we think they should, that we would create this space for people to be able to come in and say, listen, I believe, but, but I don't believe. You know, it's like in this moment that, you get, that he's saying, my faith is far from perfect, and I may not even have enough. And if it is not enough, please forgive me. Please help me. He, please help complete where I'm lacking in faith. And listen, that is the greatest thing that we could ever do before Jesus has come before him and say, listen, I believe in you, but I don't believe in you in the same breath. Listen, I want to follow you, but every day I don't follow you in the same walk. Listen, I believe that you've saved me, but in, in another aspect, I, I feel like I fall and I fail, and I don't believe like you've saved me. Because it's within that space, when we're wrestling with doubt, that God begins to do the work, that God begins to mold us, that God begins to change us, that God begins to shape us, that it's within this space, it's within this freedom that God begins to take our families. When we come before Jesus day after day and we say, God, I want to lead my kids, I want to lead my wife, I want to lead my family, I want to lead in the way that you lead, but I am a failure. I am, have faulty faith, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the strength, I don't know what I'm doing. It's within that honesty that God begins to work in us. 
It's within that honesty that God will lean in where we are and tell us, that we will hear him tell us, listen, it's okay. It's okay. Because what, what happens right after this is that even in his faulty faith, God does a miraculous work in his life. It says that he healed his son, that for a moment they thought he was dead. Jesus grabbed him by the hand, lifted him up, and he rose. And that he was no longer affected, that he was no longer deaf, that he was no longer mute, that he was no longer thrown into these seizure-like activities. And it was because of broken faith, not because of perfect faith. It was because of partial faith, incomplete faith, that God did a miraculous work in the life of this family. God has not called us to come with perfect faith, but authentic faith. He's called us to come before him with authentic faith faith. In Luke 17, 5, even the apostles, the people closest to Jesus, they come to him and they said, they said to the Lord, increase our faith. That even in those walking closest with Jesus, seeing everything that Jesus has done, recognize and acknowledge that their faith is broken or incomplete. And they know that the source of that faith growing, that so- the source of that faith developing is only in Jesus. And that in everything they can't control. They can't control their lives. They can't control who comes for them. They can't control what happens. The moment they step out into the world, the thing that they can control is who they seek after. And who they seek af- after controls everything. And so they, con- they seek him who controls everything to take their faith, to grow their faith, to mold their faith, and to change their faith into a complete faith, to change their faith into a strong faith, that the Bible tells us that all it takes is the faith of a mustard seed to see mountains move. If we want to see things change in our lives or in our family's lives, we have to be moving towards the person who controls all those things, taking your broken, incomplete faith, laying it before the Lord, and saying, God, I want to be the father that you've called me to be, but every day I look in the mirror and I see somebody who is not that. Every day I'm reminded of how far I fall. There's no way I could ever be used in that capacity. God wants to use every ounce of faith that we have to do miraculous things in our lives, in the lives of our families, whether you're mother, father, husband, wife, uncle, aunt, grandma, grandpa. God wants to use you in your life, in your, the context of where you are. You know, it is the situations where we have the least amount of control that God creates the greatest opportunities. You know, because Jesus told him, look, if you can believe, if you can believe that all things are possible, you know, and unfortunately that phrasing has been muddied up through prosperity gospel preaching, but the thing we have to understand that Jesus is not telling him that he will prosper in all the days of his life. He's not telling him that he will never be sick, that he will be wealthy, that he will have, have, all, all, have it all together. He is not preaching a prosperous, uh, a prosperity type faith. He's preaching a victorious type faith. A prosperity faith is prosperity promises where there's no problems, where there's worldly gain, where a victorious faith, a victorious faith tells us that there's battles ahead, that there may be worldly loss, but there is eternal gain where God will use even the most broken of faiths to do amazing things and have victory. It doesn't mean we won't have struggles, but it will mean that there's a light at the end of those struggles. That it'll mean that I don't walk through those struggles alone, that there is a Lord, that there is a warrior, that there is a wrathful God that stands on my side and fights those battles for me. 
And so why is this so valuable and important to us? Because the thing we have to understand is the greatest enemy to our faith is fear. The greatest enemy to our faith and finding our faith, whether it's in the context of our homes, as individuals, as families, as husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, is that those places, your home is the battleground. This is not the battleground. You know, I believe with all my heart in, in pastoral leadership. I believe in eldership and deacons, and, and I, I believe in those aspects of leadership that mold and guide and direct the church. But let me tell you, there is not enough that I can do for you that will do the work that you could do in the context of your family. There is not, not enough leading that I could do or some Sunday school teacher can do to mold your children the way that you can. There's no uh, amount of work that I could do that Jesus can't do in your home when you begin to seek after God. When you begin to draw near to him, when you begin to bring your families before him like this father brings his son and says, Jesus, I don't know what to do with him. This is all I've ever known, and I'm falling short. I've not found the fix. I need you to find the fix. Listen, Jesus has invited you to do that. Jesus has invited us to come. Come with our brokenness. Come with our, our fractured faith, and let, us, let him see the work that he has to do, that he can do in our life, because the reality is when we have fear in God and his ability to do something in our life, when we have fear within our ourselves of our ability to confidently follow and seek after him the thing that we need to be reminded of is that the faith that we have and the belief that we have is not built on my ability to work hard for it but in God's ability to impart grace upon us it's through God's grace that our faith grows it's through an understanding of who he is and what he's done is where our faith grows Ephesians 2 8 says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is a gift of God it is in that grace that we are led and that we live and that motivates everything we do and continues to grow us, correcting our chaos. Jesus corrects our chaos. Jesus takes our lack of faith and he grows it into something greater. Not through my work, but through me constantly coming back to him. Through me constantly laying myself before him. Because the main thing in our life is not maturity. We need to understand this. It is not a maturity or perfection of faith, but it is a progressive character of faith. That our faith has a starting point, and then our faith per, per, uh, per, grows proportionately. That our grace, grace and uh, understanding of faith continues to grow, continues to move, continues to, to, to mature in that capacity. That the moment we put our faith in Christ, that it's not perfect, but it is perfected. That it is grown, that it is moving, it is directed in a certain direction. And that we understand that the hardest work has been done with Christ. And now we walk in the finished work. Now we walk in the finished work. You know, the people who know me will know that I'm not the, the handiest of individuals. You know, and so uh, it's about a year and a half, two years. My wife's looking at me like, what story are you about to tell? About a year and a half, two years ago, we had a light go out in our closet. And uh, to much of your surprise, I didn't fix it until about five weeks ago. But in that time, the thing that I learned is I learned how to get what I needed out of that closet guarantee it. I knew where everything was. 
I had it figured out. I reached into the to the to that space and grabbed everything that I needed. I grabbed the clothes I needed, whatever I needed. They, I even knew where uh, tie clips were. I don't have one today, but because I lost it, now the light works. I lost it, but I I knew where even the smallest little things were. Listen, I figured out how to navigate that space. And then I threw a little encouragement, instruction. Hey, I figured it out. I fixed it. Hallelujah. But about a week after, about a week after I had fixed that light, I went into the closet, and I went to get something that I needed. And in a moment, I realized that even though the light was working, I was still reaching into the closet in the dark trying to get the things that I needed. You know, and I stopped in that moment, and I thought to myself, what am I doing? Because the thing about it, beforehand, when I was reaching into the closet to grab the things that I needed, and I couldn't really tell what was in there, I I noticed that I was grabbing the same things all the time. Same shirts, same shorts, because I didn't want to get in there too deep to put them anywhere where I couldn't find them, so I would lay them all in the same spot, and then I would find them, and then I would put them on until I found myself wearing the same clothes all the time. Maybe you've noticed, and you've been making fun of me in the background. And so in that moment, when I recognized after the light was fixed and I was still reaching my hand into the dark, I noticed that I was grabbing some of those same things. And what I was reminded about, you know, as Christians, too often, when God has come into our life, when we can, we can say the Spirit of God has saved us, the Spirit of God has shone a light into our lives, That too often, we're pulling out old results in the midst of new opportunities. Because we're not walking in the light that God has given us. We're not living in the light that, that God has provided in our lives. And we're still reaching into dark spaces, expecting different results and still getting the same things. Because when I turned, when, I, when, when, when the light began to work in my closet, I, f- I found things I didn't even know I had. I found shirts that I forgot I even had. It looked like it had never been worn. It had been so long since I'd pulled it out. I found things that I didn't even know I had. Listen, when God shines light into our life and begins to reveal things to us, if we'll begin to walk in that light that he has for us, we will see things about ourselves. We will see abilities that we have. We will see truths about the life that God has given us that we never even realized that we had. Maybe even things that we forgot that we had. Listen, as Christians, too many of us are navigating life, feeling our way through dark spaces. In these very spaces, God has provided light for us. If we will seek him, if we will like this father, you know, it's one thing to hear about Jesus. It's another thing to go and meet where Jesus is at. It's another thing to pursue him. It's another thing to bring those broken things of your life before him, lay him down and say, Jesus I need you to do something about this. Me hearing about you is not good enough. I had to come. I had to come to you. Church, I pray that you would reclaim the work that God wants to do with you in your family, in your life as an individual. That it wouldn't be based on just what you hear from me or some teacher. That you would take 
that responsibility, that you would reclaim that purpose that people fought so hard for us to be able to have. And that you would begin to walk in the light that God's provided for you. And so maybe you ask, well, how do we do that? And I just have three simple things, and then we'll be done this morning. The first thing is that we pray, that you would pray. And maybe you ask yourself, well, how do I pray? I heard something recently this, uh, uh, that, that I thought was really encouraging. It's this, pray what you got. That we need to stop making prayer such this ceremonious thing, but that we would understand that prayer is us leaning into the Lord and just saying, God, I don't really know what to say. I don't even really know how to begin. But God, I need you. I need you to do a work in my life. I need you to do a work in my family's life. I need you to do work in my son or daughter's life. I need you to do work in my spouse's life. That we would just pray what you got. Pray what you know you need. Pray what you know you have going on. Pray what you know you're struggling with. Just pray what you got. The second thing is that you would start simple and don't set yourself up for failure. Whether that's in personal devotion or in devotion you want to lead your children and your family into. Don't try to lay, set before you this big, massive plan. You get a week into it, everybody acts a fool and doesn't listen, and then you just stop. Because listen, for my family of, of four, it's tough, right? Especially when you have little ones, it's tough. And on a personal level, it's tough to establish rhythms of devotion, rhythms of worship, personal worship and time. You know, when you decide to start getting into God's word for yourself or your family, read short sections. Read a verse. Maybe it's a small section, you know, five to ten minutes max. Maybe twice a week at first. Don't set yourself up, up for failure, but take simple steps. And then the last thing, and then I'll be done, is don't get discouraged if it doesn't work out the way you think it should the first time. There will be failures, but don't allow the discouragement to keep you from pursuing it. You know, they say it can take up to two months of establishing consistency before we see something become a habit or routine. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep pursuing. Keep laying these things before your families. Keep laying these things before yourself. Keep laying these things before your spouse. Keep laying these things out and seeking after the Lord and allow him to create something within you, to shine this light on you that as we are all finding faith in the corners of our lives, that we would see Jesus and what he has to offer and give to us. Church, I want to pray for you this morning, and, uh, and I just want to ask that, that, that you would pray with me and that we would be just desperately pleading for the Lord to reveal something to us, to show us where we're maybe falling short, show us where we're, we're holding back from him, show us where we're, we're missing out on what God's got for us, where we're still reaching into dark spaces, pulling out the same old things. But let, it be, let your prayer be, God, shine a light as I'm seeking faith. God, to help me find the new opportunities you have. God, help me to lead. Help me to be an example. Help me to serve. Help me to walk as you have for me to walk. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for the truths that you reveal to us. God, I pray this morning that you would just, that we would all constantly just seek after you. Coming with our faulty faith. God, coming and fighting through the faulty followers that we run into and just find you that we would not hate each other, that we would not push away from others just because they're faulty, God, and we would not pull ourselves away just because we're faulty, God, but that we would find unity in you. We would find peace in you. God, we would find a light in you that shines into our dark spaces, God, and that we would walk in that space, that we would not continue to reach into dark spaces pulling out the same results, but, God, that we would seek your light to find new things, to find things we didn't know we had, to find abilities we didn't know we could do. God, help us see the truth of what you have for us. 
God, no matter where we are, no matter where we've come from, God, no matter what we've done, God, help us to see that you're inviting us, faulty faith and all, to your table. Father, I ask your blessing over all of us here. God, fix our faith. God, help it be secure to you. As little as it is, God, let us bring our mustard seed faith to you, our broken, faulty faith before you, and allow you to do a work that only you could do. Father, we love you. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church, can we give God some praise?